I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's hang out. Let's hang out. And let's talk about what lessons have found. Let's hang out. And let's listen to two lesbians shout. Let's hang out. Let's hang out. Hey everyone, welcome back to Les Hangout, the podcast where Fenglui, Magluan, Fak, Thulu, Rulie, Wagana, Golf, Jagan. So impressive. What the hell? <laughs> I like feel like I usually don't expect what you're going to do, but I really did not expect that. You super that. didn't expect <laughs> this one. When you were asking how to pronounce Cthulhu before, I was like, oh, Ellie, you're not ready for this. <laughs> From the West Coast, I'm Lee Helms Foster. And from the East Coast, I'm Ellie Brigida. To those of you who have been with us through this whole journey, thank you as always for listening. If you're a new listener, welcome. We're excited to have you here. Here's what's happening this week. This week in the Lesdom. This week in the Lesdom is a place where we can touch base each episode about things going on with the podcast or otherwise. We want to remind you all that this week is our first Kill Trivia on October 27th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be all logging on Zoom. You can get your tickets at bit.ly slash firstkilltrivia. We are super excited to see you all there. We also want to remind you that it is season six and we are releasing Patreon-only bonus episodes. We have three of them out already. Our last one came out last week uh, on Gray Matters. You will want to hear all of the many, many thoughts that Ellie and I each had about this movie. If you want to join our Patreon to get access to those episodes, you can join at any level and get access to them at bit.ly slash lespatreon. In the greater Les universe, we are super excited because Juliana Joel has been cast as Nikki, the first openly trans character on a Disney Channel show. 
on Raven's Home. So she's already been in a few episodes. Super fun. If any of you are Raven fans, you should definitely check it out. It's just a huge, it's a big step for Disney as, you know, we've shit on them a lot and there should have been gays. So we're excited. (laughs) (laughs) Who isn't a Raven's fan, more importantly? Oh, God, I I love, I freaking love Raven. (laughs) Also, in the Greater Less Universe, listen, I apologize in advance to all of you, but we would be remiss. We would never be able to live with ourselves if we did not talk about the new wave sweeping the the queer landscape, (laughs) sweeping the world of all of us discovering and subsequently falling in love with the Negroni Spagliato with Prosecco in it. (laughs) Also, Lee, have you watched House of Dragons? You haven't. You're not a Game of Thrones person. I am not. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. So I have been watching it. Me and Jana have been watching it every single week. It highly warrants it should have been gay. Incredible. I'm excited. Because the Negroni Spagliato is the girl who plays Rhaenyra. And me and Jana for Halloween are being Rhaenyra Targaryen and Alison Hightower, who are the should have been gay on House of Dragons. So Incredible. Can't wait. I love this for you. Please do it with a Negroni Spagliato in your hand. All night. So listen, we just want to say to any of our listeners who are bartenders, we're so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry. We're so sorry. And to all of our listeners who, you know, like maybe are new to the show because like the Negroni Spagliato clip just like awakened something in you like, welcome. Hey, (laughs) hey, so glad you're here. Literally that clip. Like this is also a hocus pocus thing, but like. There's all these like lesbians who are underneath the ground like Billy Butcher. And then this clip comes out and they all just rise from the dead. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, yeah. That shit was good. Also in the Greater Les Universe, Rachel Senat and Io Adebari, which I've said this to you before, Lee. I literally did theater with Io in elementary school. Oh, really? Yes. I, she's from oh, Dorchester. Great. Like, I know her. Incredible. Well, then that makes this next item even more exciting. Yes. So I'm freaking out about this. They are going to co-lead in Shiva Baby director and writer Emma Seligman's next film, which is called Bottoms. First of all, incredible title. And Lee, I feel like you need to do the IMDb synopsis for this because you're always so good at it. And it cracked okay. me up. Here is the synopsis that we've seen so far for the hit film Bottoms that is not out yet. <laughs> It follows two unpopular queer girls in their senior year of high school who start a female fight club in order to hook up with girls on the cheerleading team. Incredible. Give it to me now. Put it in my veins. Please. Yes. Shut up and, and take a money. When can we do a Les Centrals on this film called <sighs> Bottoms? I'm I'm like, I'm already excited. I, I literally don't even know when it's coming out. Anything about I it other care. than. I don't care. I'll watch it. I saw this post and I was like, here for it. Yes. We are here for it. That's what's happening this week. Back to you, Ellie and Lee. Thanks, Ellie and Lee. We are so excited to bring you episode six of season six, Living in Queer. You know, it literally just occurred to me that that's like the closest we could get to like having 666 in an episode right now. So oh, yes. that's great. <laughs> episode six of season six. We are joined by a very special guest today. We have Kat Blackard, who is a writer, illustrator, voice actor, and is best known as the showrunner of the horror comedy audio drama, The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Thanks for having me, folks. Pleasure to be here. We are so excited to have you here. While you were off air, you were freaking out over Lee's intro. (laughs) 
Can you uh, tell us? Tell us. How did that feel? <laughs> I mean, I've never seen anybody like go zero to 80 in Riley and that fat. Like that was just that was impeccable. Thank you. Thank you. I once Thank had you. to do kind of like a, a jazz scat version of that in the background of, of one of the episodes of our show. And it was very challenging, but I got to, you know, have a quadrillion takes of it. And you just you just nailed it. It was it. That was <laughs> one really take, everyone. One take. Do you do that <laughs> oftenly? Like, is this something that like I ran it through a couple times before I went to get the girls? I'll be honest. Ran I did it not... through a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Still, but yeah, <laughs> I didn't just I do that cold, but I am actually real proud. I got it in one take. I was worried I was going to have to do a couple. <laughs> Incredible. Can I ask as the layman who really is not in the horror genre. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about Cthulhu? Who is Cthulhu? What is this whole... Who is Cthulhu? No man what? can know Cthulhu, yeah. Ellie. <laughs> so the shortest possible version is Cthulhu is a betentacled being that slumbers beneath the ocean. And when Cthulhu wakes, weird shit happens. The waking of Cthulhu in the early 1920s was kind of the beginning of more what's called mythos activity in the world, where strange things happen. And Cthulhu is generally kind of a being that's awareness of reality is so far beyond our own that we human beings are lesser than ants unto Cthulhu. And there are things even greater than Cthulhu. And I'm probably doing a like uh, in spite of the show actually being called the call of cthulhu mystery program we have yet to really interface with cthulhu directly so it's been a minute since i've uh, boned up on like <laughs> you know let's say the call of cthulhu the story that our show is named after we've been dealing with different <laughs> things like the migo and biaki and all kinds of other yeah. stuff well, and I was trying to remember because I, when I was listening to the first couple episodes, and I was, I, now you've spoiled it. I was anticipating Cthulhu at some point, so it's fine. I won't get, I well, won't get too hey, excited. Look, I, that's it's. I like to think that we're just edging everybody for years and years and years <laughs> until someday when you least Amazing. expect it, it happens. And then does it like does the, does even the happening of it like end the show? Do you just hear this kind of like noise, like like your eardrums have burst, and then like. And then nothingness. I feel like, or you go the complete opposite where like you finally have Cthulhu like rise from the deep and just kind of give like a, hey, sup. 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 <laughs> That's um, it. So tentacles waggling it. like, sup, sup guys. Oh, I'm really tired. What did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was trying to figure out when I started listening to the show, like how long has it been since I read the actual like the HP Lovecraft story because I mean I did like wait I was I think it must have been when I was like in college I mean it's been forever forever and ever and ever like I can't remember so I was trying to remember like how much do I even actually recall of the real story I <laughs> that's okay there's an expedition and there's an island and something something 19 I want to say 26 off the top of my head but I could be wrong I think uh, it's pretty close if you're wrong it's close enough yeah, yeah the way you said it I know it's right yeah. <laughs> so your show itself was inspired by Cthulhu, but what is it now? Like, tell our listeners a little bit about your show. Well, I suppose we're we're inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft at large. So the the cosmic horror genre is also our playground, and there's a long tradition of cosmic horror kind of appropriating other cosmic horror and building on that and building on that, and even Lovecraft built, who's like, you know, the epicenter of all of this, built on stories that he loved. So we're building on Lovecraft's work. And in our case, viewing it from a different angle, from a queer lens, because as I'm sure 
a lot of people, if they're aware of Lovecraft's name, may know Lovecraft, the person left much to be desired <laughs> and is the kind of poster boy for like the the white cis Anglo-Saxon, you know, heteropatriarchy. Hard to imagine a white dude in the 20s would leave something to be desired, you know? <laughs> yeah. Strange. <laughs> this particular white dude was hypothetically, because we can't confirm any of this, but hypothetically very much on the spectrum and also very much a closeted gay man. At the very least, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that and that that's where his like, in a lot of ways, his larger problems of dealing with the other are rooted in a great many prejudices, but also a degree of like self-hatred and like maybe physical discomfort with sex and sexuality, which enables him to create the kinds of horror imagery that that he did. So like, I'm just going to keep asking questions because I am <laughs> <Okay>. like, <laughs> cool. I'm going to be the person who just knows nothing and I'm sorry, but what is cosmic horror? You're talking about cosmic horror. What What is that? Okay. So cosmic horror, it can also be called unknowable horror. The idea that there's something so repugnant, so beyond human understanding that your mind is not actively capable of comprehending what you're witnessing or that it just goes beyond human understanding into a place of of body horror. Like uh, if you've seen a Hellraiser film, those are kind of rooted in cosmic horror. Lovecraft was the sort of flashpoint for bringing that kind of writing into Western literature. Stephen King is a fan of Lovecraft and and so forth. Like it all kind of stems from him. I, I think that's probably a fair approximation. Like, okay, so have you ever seen a David Lynch movie? I don't think I have. What is it? Tell me, what is a David? Tell yeah. me a, an example. Oh, oh, okay. You really want to see Mulholland Drive? <laughs> oh, yeah. yes. I haven't seen it, but. Okay. Wait, have I? No, I have. It's gay, right? It is gay. That's why you really want to see it. I've definitely seen it. Yes. I'm you've, pretty sure my I'm sure you've seen Mulholland Drive. <laughs> oh, yeah. He also, I he did, like, one. did you ever watch any of, like, Twin Peaks? He did Twin Peaks. I have not seen Twin Peaks. Okay. I will also say to you, Kat, this is why I'm like, I just, like, don't watch a lot of horror because mm -hmm. I get too scared. Like, I'm one, I'm just one of those people who, like, I will have nightmares. Mm -hmm. I, like, am a very empathetic person. So if I see violence or murder on screen, I feel it in my body. Like, mm -hmm. I will watch a horror movie and I'm in pain physically. Wow. Yeah. So I don't watch a lot of it. Good. Keep yourself safe. <laughs> when somebody says, like, this thing's gay and horror, I'll watch it. So, like, I've seen Fear Street. Mm -hmm. I've seen Jennifer's Body. <laughs> I realize I have seen Mulholland Drive. I'm looking at it. Did I you definitely watch watched the that. Haunting? You watched The Hauntings, right? Oh, yeah. I watched Haunting of Hill House. And, and Bly Manor. Bly Manor. But that's, like, gothic horror. I did watch Ginger Snaps. Do you like that one with the werewolf? I want to see Ginger Snaps so bad. It is a glaring hole in my queer horror viewing. Yeah, that one, I was like, okay, I can get behind this. Because I wrote erotic werewolf fiction as a teen, so like, I need to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and where is this fiction? Where can we read about it? Well, actually, <laughs> I posted it to my Patreon. So That is awesome. So everyone, join Kat's Patreon to get the werewolf fanfic that we've all wanted. <laughs> this is the Cat Blackard Patreon, not the Omniverse Media Patreon where Cthulhu stuff happens. Nice. Uh, so if you're wondering why haven't I seen that, that's that's why. The lesser known, deeper cut Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But yeah, you're not a big spooky gay, Ellie. You're not. 
I love Halloween, but I feel like it's like I'm more of a campy gay. So like I'll watch like a campy horror film. Is it different for you watching versus reading? You know, I feel like you can read Lovecraft and it's not watching Fear Street where you're like, oh no, somebody just got axed in the face. Like, ah. Now I will have to start reading it and I'll let you know. It's like these ideas are disturbing. They're cloying. Yeah. It's more of like the descent into madness, I feel like, you know, more so than than like I'm watching somebody bleed profusely as they got like sliced open with a bread slicer. So like, I don't know if that's better or worse for you. I'll see. I'll let you know. (laughs) I, I brought up David Lynch specifically because David Lynch's films evoke what it's like to be inside of a nightmare. It's filled with dream logic, things that sort of twist your perspective around. And he has this incredible ability to replicate what it feels like to be in a dream in a way that Mm. is far beyond the average like dream sequence that someone else might do. And Mm -hmm. that that replication of the experience of nightmare is also a variety of cosmic horror. Cool. And for you too, like when we were talking about like, what are we going to talk about in the episode? One of the things you were talking about is cosmic horror and then like using that from a queer lens. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, we have a long tradition in mainstream horror of, you know, punishing promiscuity and queerness and all kinds of good, wonderful things and saying, you know, <laughs> yes, agreed. Uh, those are bad and you're the first to die. And also people of color, et cetera, et cetera. So in direct counterpoint to like Lovecraft's vibe, our characters are, you know, typically not with some notable exceptions, typically not affluent. They're like normal people. They might not be white. And there's often a lot of queerness in there. So we have people who come from a background where when faced with these things, like let's say a Protestant person who's from the 1920s and is for prohibition and is keeping things very, very clean and safe. If you see some kind of undulating mass of tentacles when you open a door and you don't expect it to be there and it has several eyes and all of them like are these like bright kitten blue and they look at you with a deep well of sadness that reminds you of something really primal in your soul, but you can't come to grips with the fact that it doesn't actually have a face like that kind of thing is, you know, that's going to destroy the sanity of someone who thinks that they understand reality. But for someone who is already outside of the patriarchal norm that we're trapped inside of, someone who's someone who's had their queer awakening, who is outside of this weird, you know, humanity has created a veil over our species' perception of reality. And for those of us who are outside of that veil, who have torn down that veil in different ways, we're able to see things differently. We know that those systems are fabrications. And that means that your perception of this might be, you know, might be shock and horror because you've never seen anything like it before. Or you might start asking questions, necessary questions, your capacity to be undone by this impossible thing may be significantly lessened because maybe it's good. It might be repugnant to human sensibilities of beauty, but maybe those are wrong to begin with. So what you're what you're saying, Kat, is I was close before, but slightly wrong, which is it's not that like mere man cannot know Cthulhu. It's only the straights, really. It's just truly. <laughs> yes. Like <laughs> no, the gays. The gays can maybe grasp Cthulhu. The gays you know? can communicate with Yeah, like Cthulhu might show up with all his things. tentacles, but like he'll have like a nice coffee and he'll be like <laughs> Yeah. So and, and, I got you one. <laughs> and when we get down to hard facts, the cosmic of cosmic horror is in its most primal state, 
that the fact that we as as beings are just little like, you know, blips of flesh and bone on the face of this planet and our belief in our society and the in- integrity of that is entirely an illusion. Yeah. Like we have we have just built ourselves up. The universe is vast. And in the vastness of the universe, in the dimensionality of the universe, with the possibility of, let's say, fourth dimensional beings that perceive time and space totally different from ourselves, we are nothing. I feel like queer people are more likely to accept our minuscule place in the universe as something that's beautiful and not something that is to be feared. And the fact that we like belong to nature, that's also something beautiful. Whereas like belonging to nature or, or even the concept that a human is an animal is something that makes the straights freak the fuck out. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for using that. Like, I mean, there are a great good. many allies in the world and I, and I <laughs> yeah, love you yeah. very much. And say, you know, like whatever. But like generally speaking, <laughs> let's say the normies out there who want to play the human systems, they don't get it. Listen, we'll just we'll disclaimer like we'd like to apologize to all the straights in our audience. We're talking to you, Ryan. <laughs> No, something that you're getting at that I also think is so funny because it always just cracks me up, right? So it's like, okay, we're talking about Lovecraft and like, I mean, yes, like Lovecraft, still a byproduct of the times and a byproduct of the society that he was in. But that's why I think it's it's so funny because, yes, there is the component of it where it's like we as queer people who are already othered and who are already like willing to see past some of the illusion of the world around us and stuff like that like sure our minds are more open like we're less you know (laughs) afraid of tentacles but (laughs) but the other piece of it that i always think is so funny is i'm like when you have the kind of brain that can come up with this entire concept of like what if there are these ancient slumbering gods that we mere mortals cannot even begin to comprehend whose lives and not Knowledge and like powers are so far beyond ours that like we are the dust beneath their giant like feet and like how do you then still care <laughs> about all of that shit? Like, like how are you still homophobic when it's like yes. come on we don't matter. So like, why are you so intense about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's where I thought you were going at first, Kat, is you were like, when you're like a conservative Protestant who opens a door onto like, you know, this betentacled horror creature from the nightmares that you can't even fathom. Like, I really thought the next thing was going to be like, why would you still care if the dude next to you is gay? You just run. <laughs> like, you just grab that I mean, guy and be like, save point. me, daddy, yeah. and run together. Like you don't. <laughs> so you're you saying that all we need is is Cthulhu yes. to unite the world. I think Cthulhu the- is really the cure for homophobia. Is what I'm mm. saying. Okay. <laughs> no, but it but it is though, right? Like it feels silly at that point. Like doesn't it just feel silly to still care about that stuff? It's like, listen, if our planet suddenly was like overtaken by ancient gods who just did not care about us at all, like, would it really matter? What you're describing is effectively the end of Watchmen, like the Alan Moore comic. Lovecraft was specifically like a basis for the tentacled creature that ends up like beamed into Times Square and kills a quadrillion people as a fabricated cosmic horror specifically made to unite humanity yep yes because it should because it should right yeah 
I mean, it should. It, it should. Here's the thing. I am fundamentally anti-human. <laughs> oh, when, same. Listen. When it comes to like, you know, like there's there's the human animal and I'm very much the human animal, but then there's the human world and I'm like, ooh, no, can't do that. That's, that's, <laughs> we're not doing that. So I, I always tell this story, which is like when the first Wonder Woman movie came out, right? And I went to see the first Wonder Woman movie and I just remember so vividly like talking about it afterwards. And I was like, I mean, sure, like it's it's great. And like, I get the whole like, yeah, women were so excited to be like, oh, my God, like women cooking ass on screen. OK, I got that. But I left the movie and my resounding feeling at the end of it is I was like, I feel like the only thing I couldn't really get behind is that the underlying premise of the movie is that Diana's like humans are worth saving. And I'm like, are we, though? Are we? I'm like, this is the first world war, Diana. Like, there's there's, there's a whole many other ones. Yeah. I'm like, we're not even that great. Like, and you don't even know the worst of it yet. Like, just are we though? Honestly, like, should you have saved us? I don't know, man. <laughs> we're not great. I thought you were gonna say you couldn't get behind like the fact that she wasn't queer. Also, well, I mean, also, obviously, there's that, but that was yeah. that was like secondary of yeah, all my yeah. problems with the movie to just the fact that I'm like, I don't know if we're like that great, honestly. Yes, I'm curious. You say that you're anti-human, right? So, like, I need to come up with a better a better phrase phraseology. You know, I love it. No, but like, how do you take those things? Because I'm sure, like, through your art and your creative process. You're making some sort of statements on these things, too. Yeah. How do you use that in your creative process? Well, when I have the opportunity to tell stories where people can speak to, you know, larger issues and moments of community and and so forth, like their shared experiences can be reduced to the most primal and necessary things. Like something I often say is that like we explore unknowable horror in our show, but we also explore unknowable love. And that isn't a Mm -hmm. universal constant across like every given storyline because the one we're putting out currently, Night at Howling House, you know, it's about a bunch of kids trapped in a a haunted house. And it's, it's much worse than that description sounds. And there's some really deep stuff happening under the hood. However, there's not a lot of room for, for the unknowable love in that particular story. Oh, but the next one, the one that we're crowdfunding right now, the case of the penumbral gate, that one's all about that. Nice. Or at least, I don't know, it, there's a lot going on in that story. But the, the point is, is that a lot of folks who write horror will lean so heavily into the doom and gloom of everything. But I don't view the world in a binary, but there are, you know, there, there are balances. If you have a force out there in the cosmos that is a force of, of destruction, then you could also have a force of assimilation like or something like that, that that might be beyond your understanding as a human being where you think, well, no, I, I, I like my body, you know, like I want to be this this one thing. I'm really adhered to this perception of, of existence that I currently have. But the thing is, is that like love is something beyond that. People have, I mean, love is a, is a really challenging word in the English language because it means so much and we should have as many words for it as like folks have for snowflakes in like indigenous languages, you know, who, who live in snowy environments. It is a multifaceted thing. But if we're talking about like cosmic love, the communion of gravity, the love that a star has for a planet, like the kind of like a, a wrinkle in time kind of cosmic love sensibility, that's out there too. And you can give yourself to that just as much as you can like, you know, let yourself be annihilated by the forces from beyond. 
I've kind of, I feel like I've kind of stumbled my way through that one. But <laughs> no, I love it. I'm like, sorry, Kat, are you a writer? Or, are, <laughs> you're just like oh. speak so eloquent. Like I'm like I I'm like just seeing all these metaphors and similes like floating yeah. in the universe. I'm like you just speak like a writer in a, in the best way possible. <laughs> I love it. Let me provide a, a, hard, a hardcore <laughs> example of this. So the two characters who have become the focal point for this kind of exploration in the show is a woman named Estelle Thorpe, who's a wealthy occultist and Anjana Ramakrishnan, who's her partner, and they have sort of an organization that helps them sort of keep abreast of strange happenings across the world. And they have a pagan practice that's rooted in a couple different disciplines, like they're effectively witches in different ways. They both worship Bastet, the Egyptian cat goddess, even though that's neither of their cultural backgrounds being is being Egyptian, but that deity has a foothold in, in lots of different things. Like for Anjana, Bastet is also a part of Durga, who's like, she's she's Indian and, and Durga is a feline-oriented goddess from her culture. And they have a significant amount of overlap because the archetype of feline nature kind of like transcends culture and it's all intertwined. So through these characters who worship a love goddess, who are queer polyamorous women, they want to put a stop to the evil in the world, but they also know that the thing, like from their own personal lived experience, that the things that people perceive, that human beings at large perceive as evil aren't necessarily evil. There's many sides to everything. And those are the people who are like, you know, at the epicenter of some of our biggest stories. That's the kind of the way that we sort of confront the unknowable love in our series. I love that. Also, just like from a queer perspective of what you were talking about earlier, of course, queer people are like, okay, but like someone might have said I was evil and like, I'm not evil. So like, let's, let's negotiate this a little bit where there's less black and white in a queer horror story, which I think is why like, I don't watch horror as much, but I have a friend who's very into queer horror and she was messaging me the other day because she was like, there's actually been a lot of queer horror coming out lately. Yeah. Like movies and like just new stories that are featuring queer protagonists in horror. And I do feel like they're doing really well because there's so much nuance. There's much more nuance to those characters, to those characters telling this particular story and also like surviving in the same way that like Jordan Peele's Get Out was so popular because now you have a person of color telling a story that they've been historically left out of or killed at the beginning, right? Like, just like that idea of the other telling the story about the other, like on top Mm -hmm. of that, right? Like, it's so, I just think like lends itself to so many beautiful opportunities to tell stories. Yeah. And that's being done like to uh, a lot with with Lovecraft. Like there is, for example, Lovecraft Country, the television show, which is based on a book that's by a, a white guy. But it's about like people of color experiencing this unknowable horror, like during segregation, like in the 1950s and so forth and, and struggling with all that. And some of it's very good. And then they did some stuff in it that is super deplorable. Like there's some really fucked up stuff in the fourth episode that no one, especially somebody who's trying to be equitable and good, should never have done. I guess I can't I can't I can't say all that without here's what happened. They yeah. created a character who was a two spirit intersex indigenous person on screen played by a multiracial two spirit person and then proceeded to go down the list of every single thing that you should not do to a, a marginalized character they did within the span of 15 minutes. I'm talking like oh. this this oh. character 
at first you get like full frontal nudity of a trans person and they say what is that like what is this oh, like they, no. like shock stuff and then like the character can't speak and is silenced because they've like something cosmic's been done with their voice and it's you know it's not good but they get hit they get murdered they get talked down to by the cast they get misgendered like they created a, an amazing yeah. opportunity for representation and then proceeded to and they tried to validate this on a, on a podcast they did the the creative team like saying that they were attempting to like show you know what the colonizers do and it's like no 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 this is an opportunity to not do that because this yeah. happens all the time yeah as a podcast network our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you but we also sell merch and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Well, and God, and it's so interesting, too, because I totally get like so much of what you were saying. I can also see how there's like there can be such a fine line sometimes with horror because it's like there is a certain portion of horror and of the protagonists in any sort of horror story that has to do with like, 
I don't know if like loss of agency is the right word, but like things are out of your control, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like by definition, that's sort of the point is like you are no longer in control here, whether that's because there's a serial killer attacking you or a monster attacking you or a cosmic being attacking or like something, right? Like something is happening. There's ghosts attacking you of the patriarchy, whatever. It's like there's (laughs) (laughs) there's some portion of that. But then then there's that level of like. You know, like, I'm trying to contrast that with it's like, okay, so we talked about like Bly Manor, like, let's talk about something Ellie has seen. (laughs) I'll try to to relate it back to something that you'll have like a touch point for. And it's like, I remember when Bly Manor happened, and there was like a wave of response to it where people were like, bury your gaze. And it's like, I mean... Like, yes, and also a heavy, heavy no, because it's like the piece that is so important in this story like Bly Manor is that like that piece of her agency, right? Like that was her decision to be like, I can stop this from continuing to happen. I can do something here. And also like, you know, doing it with love, like let's we can loop that piece back around too. But it's like, but God, the contrast in like how you treat a gay character who is like the central character and who gets to like make that decision for herself and and then like God, everything you just described where you're just like, oh yeah, let's like dehumanize them and like and take their voice away and like just oh boy like that's there's a fine line and then there's like a mile past that yeah i i mean as you can tell i'm still pretty mad about it yeah Yeah. because like i wanted to believe in the ethos that that show was created under and that was one of the worst cases of creating a a marginalized like like victim on screen that i'd I'd ever seen they they Mm -hmm. put all of all the the most minority minorities in one character and then did every bad thing that's yeah how do you do that? How do you spend yeah. millions of dollars to do that? Yep. And it's interesting, too, because it's like there's something maybe this is just me, but I feel like it feels like so much more of a betrayal when horror does that to queer people. Because yeah. um, like now, today, you know, because I feel like I mean, I know that we f- we focus a lot because we've done like a ton of episodes on the ways in which like gays tend to relate to especially like the mythological horror things. Right. Where we're like witches are for gays, like vampires <laughs> are gay, like <laughs> werewolves yeah. for the gays, like all of these things. Right. Because we there is a certain way in which I think we always have that sense of like, ah, the other that's me. Yeah, that's us like. And I think it still exists beyond just, you know, kind of like the monster horror genres of stuff. Like, that feels like it is more encompassing in terms of, like, the the queer, you know, like, even for you, Ellie, like, you're not a spooky gay, but you're like, but horror is for the gays, right? Like, yes, of course. Because <laughs> it is. There's just, like, something about it that's for us and i think that like there's also historically been such a tendency for media to turn queer people into this horrific thing that has always kind of made us relate to it but it's like you can't be in the 2020s doing that shit now like yeah that's that's just come on they are yeah, yeah, yet here we here and we yet are. Here somehow. we are. Yeah, somehow wild, wild, yeah. not great. Have there been uh, on a 
slightly lighter note, but thank you. Like, have there been <laughs> have, have there been any portrayals of trans people in horror that you've really actually been like, wow, that was awesome? Hmm. That's a great question. I'm really hoping that the forthcoming Hellraiser is, uh, which is out yes. by the time that this episode. I just out. saw the trailer for that this week, and I am so excited. Yeah, I mean, and uh, Hellraiser two, like the moment where that person kind of gets like turned into a, a Cenobite and is like, and to think I hesitated, like that <laughs> is that is the trans experience. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of like actual like on screen directly trans characters, I'm sure there have been some recent ones. I'm like. My media consumption is, is way down as my like media production has risen. I get that. <laughs> I mean, for you, have you created any of those characters for yourself that you wanted to see? Yeah. Well, I mean, for example, Estelle Thorpe, I play her on the show. And when that season was recorded, I was out as non-binary, but still hadn't accepted myself as a trans woman. And I was working on that. And I didn't know what I was doing per se, but Estelle was a part of that. You know, I'd ask myself like transphobic questions like, can I convincingly portray a, a female voice on the show? Like, is that possible? Like, because I don't want anybody to question it. You know, I want them to be immersed in the story. And then like, well, I've always wanted to know more about magical practices in the occult. So I better start researching that really intensely. I mean, like getting anthropological about it. I mean, like actively joining local pagan groups and like immersing myself in that culture and seeing what comes out the other side. So I did all of that because I was ha 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 just working on a character. But no, <laughs> I was working on myself and hadn't admitted that to myself. Yeah. Well, maybe we can use that as like as a segue into something else because A Call of Cthulhu is an audio drama, but it's also an audio drama that's that's like a, a live play like TTRPG based format. Yeah. Which means that it's not scripted per se, right? I mean, there's there's player decisions, there's roles happening, things like that. And I think that like we are endlessly fascinated by things like TTRPGs and things that give people the freedom, the tools, the space to explore and step into like other I mean, characters, but I think frequently into like other versions and aspects and things about ourselves as well, which I think is like so much of what you're touching on right now of the importance of a space like that. So how did Call of Cthulhu, like how did that come to be essentially? Like, was that something that you like had a group that was already doing like TTRPG stuff together? Was that something that you like put together for the show? So I've been podcasting since 2009. And we did what at the time was the longest running games and hobbies podcast on Apple Podcasts until they eliminated, they like took those two categories and separated them. So we did that for a long time. I was a media journalist for a long time. But early on in the show, within our first year, we said, wouldn't it be funny if instead of doing a news show, we just played Dungeons and Dragons, which at the time I'd never done before. So we did that. And naturally I said, well, you know, we've got all, we've got these like, these male characters, and they're all, they're not humans explicitly, but they're all kind of human shaped. So, what can I do? Oh, I can be a hissy little dragonborn. And I can just like, this is how I can, you know, portray a little bit of like, uh, let's say, uh, you know, mythical fantasy diversity in the, in the party. And that was my first time, unbeknownst to me, really thinking about it, like, really. Really, really, there were some times before, but really being female in public was this long running show that's still going in its own kind of weird way 
of a fantasy role playing podcast. And it it started as a straight up actual play in that it was just like recordings of us doing the tabletop role playing and having fun and telling jokes and being extremely vulgar. And then over the years, more audio drama elements crept in because like it's fun to make things cinematic. Yeah. And that turned into that being one of the most popular things we did was was different sorts of tabletop content in general via like our show that became a network. And eventually we were in a pre-Patreon era. We launched some crowdfunding, well, support campaigns and people would vote what role playing special we would do next. What was the system that we would try out for a miniseries? And the second one that won was The Call of Cthulhu. So we did that. But because solving a mystery takes a long time, it went from it wasn't just a long special that ended up being like an eight part series. And I was like, and we need to kind of divide it up and like create things so it so it feels natural that it's divided up. So I'll make it in the style of an old radio drama. And then one thing led to another and it turned into a whole thing. But it was still supposed to be a one shot. And then more happened because it was really cool. Well, plus you haven't found Cthulhu yet. So right. We've got to find it going. <laughs> Yeah. So that's how that all came to pass of a, a slow build of doing actual plays before that was even a subgenre of podcasts and then evolving into the RPG audio drama hybrid that we now inhabit. Because you know, these days, like what we do is there's a lot of stigmas around actual plays, a lot of stigmas that are fortunately going away as higher quality actual plays are being made and people are realizing, oh, I can't judge everything. But there are lots of audio drama people being like, get your role playing out of my audio drama and a lot of role playing people being like, get your audio drama out of my role play and having a whole like <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cup problem. But that's fortunately that that's going away because our show now is this like pure 50 50 hybrid where I will create scripted content for the show and we will blend it together in a way where the number one question we get is, I know you've done something to this, but, but how and where, you know, which is good. That makes me happy. Yeah, no, like the editing and the storytelling is awesome. And I think that is what's so cool about it is that like, I mean, <laughs> Lee and I, so I think I probably have done TTRPG like once or twice and we did it with our Les Hangout listeners. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that shit is hard to be so, it's like improv plus a game plus like being in a character. It's like, Everything is like there's so many levels to it that to do like a really good one is so impressive. And then to add all these other storytelling elements, I'm like, there's no question here. It's just saying this is amazing. But I'm curious, like through all this stuff, like what are other things maybe you've learned about yourself or like community you've built through it? Because I know there's a lot of our listeners who do a lot of TTRPG too. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's a tale as old as time uh, in the queer world in a lot of ways. Like you, you know, you perform a character and even if you don't think that character is holding on to some kind of wish fulfillment, it just kind of happens because your subconscious is constantly trying to communicate your truth to you. And, and when you extend yourself into a realm of infinite fantasy, you'd be surprised what kind of things you can learn about yourself. So, you know, playing Jamela the Dragonborn in Dungeons and Doritos, which I don't know if I said that, but that's the name of the show. Great name. Please do not sue us, Frito-Lay. <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just a whole thing. It's old. It's an old show. It'll just get grandfathered in, right? <laughs> so that character was a purely comedic character. But I'll be damned if eventually I didn't just like, I was like, no, 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 you need to stop misgendering her. Like, that's a female character. 
and I'm never going to break character. I'm now going to do all of my like out of character banter is going to be as Jamila because I don't want anybody to hear what at the time was my male presenting voice mm. next to her. I want her to exist on her own. And I started getting really protective of her. And no, I couldn't really explain why. So, you know, let me present a different example. One I don't talk about much during the pandemic. We didn't release much publicly, but we started doing a lot of experiments behind the scenes. Uh, one of my frequent collaborators is Doug Banks, and he and I have written stuff together for ages and ages, and he is an incredible game master. And he pitched to me the idea of doing what he was tentatively calling a surprise RPG. And that's where you play a normal person and something remarkable happens to you. But you will, in the hmm. meantime, be totally invested in that normal person's world. So we've taken to using the uh, OpenD6 system, most of all for any tabletop people who are listening, because that enables you to just kind of turn everything into stats, much like the Call of Cthulhu system. You mm -hmm. can just sort of, there's a bunch of life stats and you can just sort of put that into normal stuff. So he asked me to create a teenager who would live in Southern California in 2016. And I didn't know anything beyond that. And I created a character that was based on different parts of myself in high school, but what if I had the opportunity to grow up as a cis girl? And I did not, and I could not have anticipated what that was going to do to me. It was good, but it ended in a lot of, a lot of tears of like intense feelings and just self-discovery as I was like, I had transitioned at that point and I was secure in myself, but this was a duet. This was him and me role-playing in really intense like life in peril situations where I was like alone and being challenged in different ways. So what we were doing to test out these theories of his about is this possible? Is this good storytelling? Is this a good idea? Can this be a fun and functional game? It was an experiment. We were using some intellectual properties to to do this. His the example that he gave me for like here's what I'm trying to do with Jurassic Park. Like maybe you'll be on a cruise and that cruise ship crashes and all of a sudden you're in a survival situation. But you, when you were on the cruise, you're like maybe trying to solve like a like a murder mystery or something. But that doesn't matter because then all of a sudden you crash and now now you're trying to survive. And survival's bad enough, but then you pull the vines back from from a jeep and oh shit, it's the Jurassic Park logo and you the player realize I'm in shit, but then, you know, the character's still discovering, "Oh wow, dinosaurs." Yeah. So in this case, and I'll just go ahead and spoil the reveal that happens in episode two, I was in 2016. I was in a town that had hit hard times and was now being bought up by corporations that were testing out the surveillance state all throughout this, this town that was having lots of gang wars and stuff. And I was a teenage photojournalist. And my senior year of high school, I was looking forward to scoring some weed and going on a camping trip with my friends in a canyon during Thanksgiving vacation, and also intrigued by some weird stuff I'd heard about some of the gang warfare happening in town, and maybe I could snap some pictures of it. In the middle of all that, a friend, like a friend of mine, says like, well, hey, look, I can hook you up with some weed, but uh, you take photos of abandoned shopping malls, right? Well, there's one that I kind of want a map of for reasons I can't tell you, so I go and I uh, draw out a map, and I'm like, here you go, no problem. But as I'm leaving, the gang leader who asked him to draw that map shows up, and they're looking for a death ray. And that sounds preposterous, I think. That doesn't make sense. But they're convinced, and they say, I'm coming with them because I know them all. In the mall, things get heated, and all of a sudden, I take shelter in a very weird-looking refrigerator, and next, I find myself back in 1985. And it turns out <laughs> that I had been in the 2016 extension of the 1985B timeline from Back to the Future, as in the one where... <laughs> Biff Tannen runs Hill Valley, the one where in 2016, Biff Tannen is the person who was just elected president of the United States. Oh, wow. 
And so then I, as my character Kate, had to survive through all kinds of different temporal displacement as I was wove through an incredible story that takes place canonically, like to to an extreme degree, behind the scenes of all the other Back to the Future films, like bleeding in and out of the different realities that are created and destroyed as those films progress, while I'm having this extremely powerful personal experience of, well, like having to figure out how I can be comfortable presenting myself in, say, the 1950s. When like, you know, gender roles are, are really screwy and like, how am, how am I going to do that? And how am I, the player, going to respond to that? I don't like a poodle skirt is not what Kate wears. Like, that's not Kate's vibe. The idea of being perceived as like an object and a subject of predation to the men of the 1950s is something that Kate wants to drastically avoid. And by the time we get to the 1800s, Kate is masquerading as a cowboy. She's not going to wear a hoop skirt. <laughs> Like, so I, a trans woman, am playing a cis girl, like, comfortably dressing up as a male person for my own personal security and protection, but also just, like, because having agency is really important to me and I don't want to lose it. That's, (sighs) wow. Wow. (laughs) So that's a long story, but, like, we've released that to our patrons. We're hoping to put it up on YouTube at some point, you know. That's uh, incredible. No, but it's, and again, because it's like, I feel like you just said the word agency again, and it's another thing where it's like, I told you this when we were doing the one-shot RPG thing that we did with the Discord, Ellie, but it's like, I really feel like if you got more into TTRPGs, I feel like you'd actually be super good at them, for two reasons. One, you said earlier, is the empathy of it, because it's like, I feel like you actually would inhabit a character. And I think that like, that's such an important part of like what you're just describing, Kat, is to be able to use these characters, right? It's like, it's more than just playing a game, you're getting to become somebody else. But also because I think like, you know, when we talk about, especially in the context of like horror stuff and where you keep saying that it's so hard for you to watch, Ellie, where it's like, because you're empathizing with somebody over whom you have no agency. Yeah, like know? I have no control of yeah, this scenario. And, it's like, and I feel like it would be really fun to like get to play with the flip side of that, which is like, right, where you get to make these choices where you're like, I have this agency now, even if it's like, wow, the agency to make a choice that like feels a little weird on its face for me, but like for this character who I also get to be, that's their choice and I get to make that choice as them. And it's like, I don't know, it's just such a cool, like, what a cool idea. I love that. I'm excited for it. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Like I could definitely vibe with it. I just need to do it. Like I need to do it more often because I was like, okay, well, am I doing the right thing? And then I realized it's like, there's actually not really like a right thing to do in any of these scenarios. You just like make a choice. Okay, listen up, forward. Discord. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen. Again. We gotta get it up. Yeah, we gotta get it to happen <laughs> we're gonna again. Do it. We're gonna get Ellie into this. Rule sets can be daunting, and there's lots of people who role play to for combat simulation, and there's lots of people who role play for role play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got to find your right party, your right game master. Lots of variables here. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were even talking about too. Like, I had been talking to Cat about like putting together like some sort of. TTRPG for Journey to the Heart. So, like, maybe eventually. Stop it. Oh my God, stop. Fingers we will. <laughs> I would die. Figure that out. It was like way too much to handle, or like when we were trying to do the crowdfunding. But I feel like that would be a really fun way to like inhabit the characters and like play a game. Like, the podcast itself is a choose your own adventure. 
So like to be able to play the story and like choose different ways of where it could go in real time would be super cool. When actors have the opportunity to really be their characters, to make those choices, like that's the heart of what happens in mystery program. Like the horror and comedy work because all of that is in the moment. People are actually afraid for their lives because they are their characters and they're making jokes because they're actually breaking the tension while in character. And the inhabiting of those roles makes it so powerful. It's the difference between like, what's the difference between Ghostbusters and a regular movie? This feels like a trick. It's a test. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass the test. There's a lot of answers to this. Like ghosts. <laughs> Was Ghostbusters partly improvised? Yes. Ghostbusters took some folks who were best friends, who loved each other very much, that loved to tell jokes together, and somehow they crammed a bunch of improvisation into a special effects heavy film, which is nigh impossible to do. Yeah. They, I don't really even fundamentally understand how they did it. There's some documentaries on the subject and I'd like to watch them. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they did it. You know, it had a script, but the magic of the chemistry of those people changed it because they became those roles. That's cool. I love, like, I'm, I don't know if you're a fan of these, like, Best in Show, like, yeah. A Mighty Wind, like, all of those that are literally, like, entirely improv. And I'm like, this is incredible. Yeah. Like, the, that's why I just find it so fascinating. And that's what we could do, Ellie. That's what we could do. We could, we could. I just find it so incredible. But there's, like, a bit of control. You Like, I, I feel like it is sort of interesting that you keep coming back to agency. Because I feel like there's like a little bit of like control you have to give up to be like, I, as myself, Ellie, am like giving up my own agency as Ellie to be another person, right? There's yeah. like control you have to give up to just be like, whatever comes out of my mouth, that's what the character wanted to say. And like, that's okay. Rather than like having a script where there's like, you know, what's going to happen. Well, I mean, so that's why not everybody does this. Some people are really great at pantsing these performances, but generally I'll do a bit of work beforehand, you know, like I will test out character voices in the shower and in the car. I will go in deep into the occult and like come out the other side a changed person. <laughs> you know, just like little things to, that you do to prepare, you know? Yeah. Like uh, there's, there's a lot of a lot of different ways to sort of cook up the things that you want to play with, but then you get to play with those things. And it's always important to put a little bit of yourself into whatever that is. And if you can feel comfortable just being yourself in the world, then there's an opportunity to do some really powerful role play where you're also a character. Yeah. I like did not know where this conversation was going to go when we started. <laughs> but here like, we went. We really went here. I'm loving it. Lee, are we ready for our Q&A or do we have a little bit more to talk about? I'm ready if you're ready, Ellie. I'm happy leaving it there. I think we came to a good, that's a good, that's a good place I know. Any. Any final thoughts on just like queer horror before we jump into our Q and gay? Gosh. Well, I guess I'll just say that I came really close to doing a queer horror erotica comic book, but things kind of fell through. So if any publishers are interested in the sound of that, it's like Candyland plus Hellraiser. <laughs> just a good that just sounds the most common combo. You know? Incredible. A classic. Uh, you yeah. you should you should find me. So I can do that thing because body horror is something that we only touched on a little bit. But body horror is really important to the queer horror 
experience and the transformative ways that you can perceive like yourself beyond your body to turn into a werewolf or to just even to be trans, you know, it's all connected. Amazing. All right, let's go into our Q and gay. I'm ready. Q, 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 and gay. Question number one, who is your favorite horror writer? A, H.B. Lovecraft, B, Stephen King, C, Edgar Allan Poe, or D, Bram Stoker? It is H.P. Lovecraft. There's no wrong answers. You can also, you have the ability to do write-ins if you want, but we're limited to four (laughs) options on Twitter. I love Stephen King, but I have a a dirty secret that I'm ashamed to to voice, but I'm going to do it in the interest of clearing the air. I've never read a Stephen King story. I've interfaced with, you know, media adapted from his work. I have a, I know what makes a Stephen King story. I like that vibe, but I've never sat down and cracked open one of his books. It just hasn't happened. I've read Joe Hill quite a bit, his son. I was just about to ask if you've read Joe Hill. I like Joe Hill, actually. And I have yeah. read some Stephen King, and I I like Joe Hill better. But I figured Stephen King would be more recognizable, so I put him in the choices. <laughs> okay, question two. What type of horror is your favorite out of A, slasher, B, gothic, C, cosmic, or D, monster? <laughs> I think I'm going to be pretty, I was going to be, I'm going to say I'm going to be pretty predictable, but there's something, monster horror is very interesting. Mm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And gothic's difficult because literary gothic is different from cinematic gothic. And Mm -hmm. sometimes they overlap like Crimson Peak by Guillermo del Toro. Like that's masterful literary gothic in a cinematic space. Uh, you know, for what actually exists, I'm going to go with monster. I, I think that cosmic horror is done really well sometimes, but not often enough for me to broadly put that out there. Nice. All right. Question number three. Do you do horror movies? A, yes. B, no. Or C, only with a friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Big time. And I'm like going to say, see, only with a friend. I don't think I could ever watch a horror movie by myself. That sounds terrifying. That would be a horror film in and of itself, me watching a horror movie by myself. I'd watch that movie, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I would also watch that movie. And then like, it sounds fun to watch a horror movie with you. I would like to do that. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a good time. I'm down for that. But I I promise it'll be campy. Good, 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 good. Yeah, you know what I like. Like Chopping Mall. (laughs) Okay, question four. Which TTRPG system is your favorite out of A, D&D, B, Blades in the Dark, C, Call of Cthulhu, or D, Masks? Wow. So I've only played D&D and Call of Cthulhu out of of those. That's okay. And the thing is, though, is I'm going to say Call of Cthulhu, but the reason is that I love the openness that it has like I feel it feels really easy to create a character in that Mm. in that I feel like I can understand who they are through the stats there's not a learning curve like I've tried to use fate in the past it's like I can't build a person here it's too abstract but Cthulhu is is grounded and also open simple easy D&D I can I can have some fun with it but it's it's too up its own ass, if you don't mind me saying so. Fans. <laughs> Perfect. Great answer. All right. <laughs> Question number five. What movie would you want to suddenly find yourself in? A, Jurassic Park. B, Back to the Future. C, Indiana Jones. Or D, Men in Black. Shit. <laughs> well. Huh. I would love to do Indiana Jones. 
That'd be fun, right? I would absolutely love that. Yeah. I don't know, you know, like, who knows what time period, but I love the pulp aesthetic of Indiana Jones. And as long as we can do a story that kind of, you know, ditches all the colonialist bullshit that unfortunately a lot of the films are steeped in, then we'll have a great time. (laughs) I love it. I recently watched Men in Black again. Like, I think I'd really want to be in Men in Black. I haven't watched that movie in forever. And I feel like it holds up. Like, it still is so good. I was just like, this movie is so good. I love it. Yeah, it was awesome. Impeccable performances. Remember, all of you out there, you can give us your own answers to this episode's q gay questions on our Twitter at Less Hangout Pod. Kat, thank you so much for hanging out with us. It's always so fun spending time with you. Thank you so much for having me. Let our listeners know where can they find you and all of your things on all the social medias. Right on. Okay. So you can find me at Neon Feline on Twitter or at Cat Blackard everywhere else. You can find the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program at Cthulhu Mystery basically everywhere or my company Omniverse Media. You can find Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program on your favorite podcast player, whatever you're listening to this on. You should totally do it. Please subscribe to us. Our new story is called Night at Howling House and you can start any season by itself. They all kind of interconnect in different ways, but it's not important. I would like you to hear our new one because we worked really, really hard on it and the sound design is bonkers. Elsewise, I'm self-publishing a zine soon. So that's kind of like a a quirky, fun thing I'm kind of doing just for myself. It's a hard sci-fi queer erotica story called Feline Familiar. So follow me on my socials and keep an eye out for that. That is awesome. Thank you so much, Kat. Thank you. Let me hear you say hip, 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 hip. We love hearing from all of you. We love continuing to build this community. So we just like to shout out some of our favorite things every episode. This episode, we want to start by shouting out someone who reached out on Instagram, one of our listeners, Heather, who has been making their way through all those should have been gays and wanted to pitch scrubs, which we have not done yet. So just so you know, Heather, it's definitely on our list. And I, for sure, I'm sh- we, we could, yeah, absolutely. I, God, Kelsey and I watched so much Scrubs when we were in college. I haven't watched it in a long time. I've seen some episodes, but like, I feel like I would see it when it was on TV, like as a rerun yeah. or something. I was not really super into it. Oh, no, I, d- I for sure like have watched that whole series, but like not, I don't think I've watched it since maybe like my junior year of college or something, senior year of college. It's been a long time. So it would be fun to go back and rewatch. So if someone has like a super queer, like scrubs expert that they want to pitch to us too, let us know. Because especially for shows. (laughs) Oh yeah, we need the experts. Send them our way. Yeah. Also in our Patreon Discord chat, we want to shout out Sam, who pointed out that when we released our Better Than Chocolate episode, both of our shout outs in our Hip Hip Bourget, their names were Kim and Maggie. And we did not do that on purpose, but. I feel like something was happening in the lesbian universe that like made us do that. It's so incredible. Well, because so here's the thing. Sam asked if it was planned. And I'm like, we don't record these at the same time, right? I mean, I, I think a lot of our, our listeners oh, yes. know at this point that we don't record the bookends when we do the episodes. We record them later on because sometimes we're recording episodes like further out and at weird times and whatever. So we always come back and we record the bookends later on and drop them in the episode. So that was absolutely not planned. We literally didn't even notice until we saw it in the Discord, like had no clue that that had happened. And yet, like what a perfect... The stars aligned. Lesbian Jesus smiled upon us that day. (laughs) The lesbian astrology. I'm like, astrology or astronomy? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Both. Speaking of lesbian Jesus, we also want to thank, as always, our lesbian Jesus patrons, Mark Foster, Tanya Ferguson, Jacqueline Rose Nishino, Sarah and Julia, 
Alana Rosen, Lizette Stye, A.D. Benitez, and Fiona W. And our King Princess patrons, Amy and Ellen, Julia Gonzalez, Leah Hendley, and Andrea Doucette. Thank you all so much for your support. We could not make the show without you. Remember, you can also find us on all the social medias. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Les Hangout Pod. You can email us at leshangoutpod at gmail.com. You can check out our website at leshangoutpod.com. Whatever app you use for podcasts, make sure you subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes drop. We also have videos going up on our YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe at youtube.com slash leshangoutpod to catch those. Let's Hang Out is an independently produced show hosted by us with audio production by me. Our production assistant is Krista Murison and Twitter shenanigans, graphic design, all kinds of chaos, all kinds of gay chaos by Lee Holmes Foster. Yeah, I'm going to get gay chaos maker on my uh, Yeah, you are cards. definitely that. If you want to help support our little independent team, there are so many ways that you can do that. The first is you can leave us a rating and a review on the Apple Podcasts app or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. It helps new people find the show. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that at bit.ly slash lespatreon. Gives you access to all of our bonus episodes. We have three bonus episodes out so far. We will be releasing one new bonus episode every month for this entire season. If you're liking them, please let us know so we know, okay, we should definitely keep making them because we're enjoying them. You also will be part of our Patreon-only Discord chat. You'll get access to Les Essentials watch parties, all kinds of fun stuff. So join at bit.ly slash lespatreon. If you want to pick up some Les Hangout merch, we have all of our designs up on our Tee Public, which means you can get those designs on all sorts of things like t-shirts and tank tops and hoodies and tote bags and all sorts of cool stuff. You can find all of those at bit.ly slash lesshop. And remember, we have a queer production company making queer podcast musicals with guaranteed happy endings that you can find everywhere at Dollar Bean Prod. You can also check out our website, dollarbeanproductions.com. You can listen to all the episodes of our first show, The Flame, on any podcasting app. And if you want to help support us in making more musicals, you can join our Patreon at bit.ly slash dollarbeanpatreon. If you want to find us individually, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Ellie Brigida. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at LSH Foster. With that, I'm Ellie. And I'm Lee. And And let's let's hang hang out out again again soon. Let's hang out.